We're continuing this series in the meantime. And if you're new or you're kind of coming back after missing a few, uh, we'd love for you to check out these messages on our website after the service or on our YouTube channel as well. You can watch any of these messages on demand a little bit later if you'd like to catch up. Um, but in the series, basically, we've been asking the question, what do we do when it seems like there's nothing that we can do? What do we do when we're in a set of circumstances or when things happen in our life that seem like it's going to become the new normal and things aren't going to change back to the way they used to be? And we're really all in that situation right now. We're in the, in the meantime set of circumstances. What do we do when it just seems like there's no way forward and there's really no way out of the situation? There's nothing we can do to actually change the situation. And last week we said that when we focus on what's broken, we can sometimes lose sight of what God wants to restore. And um, due to the nature of sort of pre-recording these messages in our schedule, um, we didn't fully know about the tragic murder of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia until after we recorded. And like we said last week in the chat, I want to pause and just highlight that there is a time to focus on what's broken. And right now in our country, our judicial system is broken. Our society in some ways is broken. And racism is what has broken both of those things to some degree. And we need to sort of acknowledge those things and we really should pray for justice. We should pray for Ahmad's family as they go through this difficult season and this, this situation of losing someone they cared about. But we should also work to end racism. And really as we sort of work to address racism, we can look for ways that God can use this to show people that God can heal what is broken. God can restore what is broken. And even the people or the systems or the things in our world that are broken, God can work to restore them. And through his work in us, we can really show the world that God can restore anyone, that God can restore anyone who's been broken and whatever has broken them. And so we ended last week with an invitation to trust God that he can restore what is broken. And three of you last Sunday uh, responded to that invitation to indicate that you were putting your trust in Jesus to restore you from what is broken. And then throughout the week, there was another person that also said that they were going to put their trust in Jesus to restore them from what has broken them. And so if that's you, we want to celebrate with you. We want to let you know that this is a huge step in your spiritual journey. And we would just we would celebrate with you. And we really want to be the, the wind in your sails and the wind in all of our sails in our spiritual journey together. Um, today, though, I want to start by um, reminding you of something that really is incredibly important for those of us who are um, watching this really in Western cultures. Because in Western cultures, we really have very little understanding of what real adversity really is. And the thing is that um, I hope that if you never become a Christian or you're kind of new to faith or you're kind of coming back to faith, I hope you'll remember this, that the people who brought us the accounts and the teachings of Jesus were very familiar with adversity. And yet these women and these men believed and they maintained faith in God, even though there was very much a case in which their life was filled with adversity in various different forms. And some of us, we sort of think this is sort of odd. And maybe this, for some of you, this is a new kind of idea to think about. But these people in the first century, these early followers of Jesus and the people who came right after Jesus, they didn't see a contradiction. There was no conflict between a faithful God and a difficult life. Like if, if, if good things didn't happen, they didn't think that there wasn't a good God. They just didn't have that conflict or that contradiction, believing, believing that. The men and women who bring us the accounts in the Bible and the accounts of Jesus, they didn't see life that way. They just didn't see life the way that we tend to see life in our Western world. And today we're going to look at some of what those people said. And the authors of the New Testament, the, the people who wrote down the accounts of Jesus' life, we're going to look at what they said. And they said one specific thing that we need to do as a response to that. And they sort of emphasize it over and over again, that when we get ourselves or we find ourselves rather in, in the meantime set of circumstances, things that we have no control over, there's one word that they said that we needed to do. This one thing that we need to do. And we're going to look at that today. And the word that they would focus on over and over again, they would emphasize is believe. 
that they would sort of emphasize this, this thing that we're going to talk about that we're sort of instructed to believe because if left to our own, if, if just on our own accord, we would sort of do the opposite of what they tell us to do and what they would tell us to believe in. And yet beginning with Jesus and then all those people that would come after him, we're sort of instructed over and over again that when we face adversity, that when we face a set of circumstances, when it seems to become the new normal and when it seems like things aren't going to change, things aren't going to get better, there's something that we need to embrace and there's something that we need to believe is happening while these circumstances are going on. And really there's sort of several places in the New Testament. There's several authors that address this. But we're going to look at one specifically today because of who this author was and because of who he was as a person. And it's sort of important to know who he was as a person because it gives credibility to why he's saying what he said and why we should believe what he says um, in just a moment. Um, and the thing, though, that I'm going to read you, though, is really something that I would never tell you. <laughs> um, to be honest, it's really something that I would never tell you personally because I just don't know that I could actually do it. And unfortunately, Jesus also said things that I would never tell you personally because I just don't know that I have the authority or the credibility to say them. And Jesus would say things like, don't worry. And yet when I hear some of your stories and I hear some of your situations and you tell it to me, I would say, yeah, you probably should worry if I was just telling you from my own experience and from my own um, situation. And the thing that, that we're going to read today is really something, again, that I would never tell you. And yet these words are so pivotal. They've been so influential in so many of your lives and lives of, of Jesus followers throughout the years and that they've helped them and they've helped them to look at their situation um, specifically when we're in an in the meantime set of circumstances. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I think that there's something here for you as well. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, this is sort of central to addressing these in the meantime seasons of life that we find ourselves in. And the person that we're going to look at who wrote what we're going to read today is a guy named James. And if you don't know, James had a very famous brother. His brother was Jesus, right? If you don't know that, his brother was Jesus. And I don't know if, if you've thought about this, but if you have the internet, you have access to something that was written by someone who was related to Jesus. Like, that's pretty amazing. And I don't know, I don't know what you're reading. I don't know what it is, but this is better than whatever you're reading. Like some of us have those reading lists and we have that reading list on our browser page or you have like NPR articles or you have a blog that you read or you have whatever various news sources you look to. But this is something that whether you believe it or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, this is something that was written 2000 years ago and it was written by somebody who grew up with Jesus. Like this is pretty powerful kind of things. This is at least interesting to say the least, okay? So James' brother Jesus, he writes this letter, and he's writing primarily to Jewish followers of Jesus. Um, that's who his audience pretty much was. But he's basically saying that if you're going through a tough time, which in his case, it was more like when you go through a tough time, but for us, it's sort of with, if or, or when, um, you're going through these in the meantime set of circumstances, he says there's something we should believe. There's something we should believe that is happening. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can jump in the Bible app. You can also find the notes in the notes tab of the chat. Um, you can also just follow along on the screen. We'll have the verses in the notes there as well. But James chapter 1, um, beginning in verse 1, he sort of starts his letter this way. He says, this is a letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is something, pause for a second, that we might just skip over. James identifies his brother as his Lord, his master, his leader. Like, that's pretty a powerful thing. Like, you can't just sort of write that off. And some of us have just sort of written off Christianity, and, and I get that. But you should wrestle with how does a brother of Jesus somehow acknowledge that he must have been his savior or his Lord. He continues, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, which is the Jewish audience that he's referring to. The Jewish believers scattered abroad, he says, greetings. Now he gets into his letter. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, he doesn't qualify that. He doesn't sort of describe that. He doesn't limit it in any way. 
When troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. And the last part is where I think a lot of us would say like, James, like that's just sort of silly. <laughs> like uh, I can't consider like troubles great joy. Like that just doesn't make any sense. And, and again, this is where I also would say, I would never tell you this. Like I would never look at you and say, your troubles, you should consider them great joy based on my own ability. I would maybe would quote James here, but I wouldn't say it on my own. Like this doesn't quite make any sense, right? But remember, James is the one who's talking about this. And James is asking us to consider that when things go bad, and you kind of get into a funk, that when things go bad and bad things happen, and you kind of want to hit the eject button, and you kind of want to leave and abandon the thing, when you want to uh, fight and resist it and change it, James says that I want you to try to at least pause for a moment and consider, and just think about the idea of, a, of adopting a different mindset and a different outlook on these troubles that are facing you. And he basically says that instead of considering these troubles as terrible and the end of the world and your life's never gonna be the same and all these bad things, he wants us to consider or to think about this as being a source of something good or bringing about something good in our life, like joy in our life. And again, I think we could all sort of like raise our hands and, and say like, James, you just don't understand pandemics. Well, maybe you don't understand pandemics in our day, in the modern day, which, you know, it's maybe a whole nother argument in and of itself. James, like, you don't know who I'm quarantined with. You don't know my situation. Like, you don't know the specifics. Like, this doesn't probably apply to me, James, like, because of my story. And James would say, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, he makes it pretty open and inclusive to your problems and my problems and our troubles. He says, when it comes your way, and the interesting thing is in Greek, what he's talking about specifically in Greek sort of refers to like a robbery or maybe a shipwreck or some sort of circumstance happening in your life um, that just would sort of take you by surprise, something you weren't expecting. And you're just like kind of going along and all of a sudden, boom, like this big bad set of circumstances comes your way and it takes you by surprise. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, which again, it's like a robbery sort of comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. James continues on in uh, verse three, he says this, for you know that when your faith is tested, basically that you know that your faith is being tested. And sort of, I think we need to hit the pause button again right here to sort of acknowledge that this is an enormously important sentence. Because James sort of affirms what I think most of us suspect or most of us already know and what we, what we believe is what happens. That when you hit a bump in life, it tests your faith. That your faith somehow becomes on trial and it sort of tests the integrity of your faith. That troubles really put your faith on trial. That troubles really put your faith in God or your belief in God on trial. And troubles sort of cause all of us to sort of look up and like, God, like, really? Like, God, I thought like you cared about me and you loved me and like, I thought that I've been a good person and like, are you kidding me? Like, are you allowing this to happen to me? And James would sort of acknowledge that like every set of negative circumstances, that every set of negative circumstances, every adversity is really a test of your faith. And that it's a test of your faith to say, do you really believe? Will you continue to believe? And trials test our confidence in God. And James sort of understands our situation at least enough to know that this is true for sort of all of us that any sort of trial or trouble that we go through in some ways is a test of our faith in God. And he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And James again sort of points us in an uncomfortable direction that somewhere we don't wanna really go, but I think yet all of us sort of know that that is the right way, that somehow we know it is true, that the testing of our faith produces something, that the testing of our faith, it produces perseverance and trials grow persevering faith. And that is really his point of what he's trying to get across. 
that trials grow persevering faith. That when we read the New Testament, and especially um, the teachings of Jesus, that if Jesus spoke on behalf of God, if the New Testament authors spoke on behalf of God, if the Old Testament authors spoke on behalf of God, then God seems to honor and God is most glorified by persevering faith. We sort of see it from all of those different avenues and different people. That faith that, that sort of always gets a yes from God, that always sort of gets the answer that they want, really doesn't impress any of us, right? Like that's just sort of like magic or that's just sort of prosperity preaching. And I don't necessarily know that I know you, but I think I know something about you because it's probably the same thing that's true about me as well, that the faith that really impresses most of us is a faith that gets a no from God or doesn't get an answer from God and still moves forward and still perseveres and still endures anyhow and still continues on. And it's not really the faith that gets always gets a yes, like I lost my job on Monday and I got a job by Wednesday because I prayed and I fasted and I did these things. Like we don't really fall in love with that or we're not really impressed with that. We're like falling in love with like, how did you do that exactly? Like what were the steps you took? How long did you pray? When did you pray? What did you do after that? And really, that's not, the, that's not the thing that really gets our attention, that we want to sort of know the formula of that. And we fall in love with a formula, really in some ways fall in love with a genie at that point, when, per, when the person always gets the answer to their prayers. But the people who really impress us the most are the people who hear a no or don't hear an answer and they continue on and following on. And God, I think, would say, what honors me most is the person who believes anyway, the person who continues to believe in me Anyway, even when the circumstances don't seem to suggest they should. And throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, God is really honored by persevering faith. And James would sort of say, like, that's why that when troubles come your way, when things are tough, I want you to at least pause enough. I want you to at least consider and think about the idea that God is possibly up to something good in your life. That God is in the process of developing something in your life. And he's developing persevering faith that continues on through difficult and in the meantime, circumstances. The problem is though that you and I, we don't want persevering faith, right? Like that's not what we want. We want our circumstances to change. We want the in the meantime season to go away and to go into a new season. But the thing that honors God the most typically tends to be persevering faith through difficult things. And trials grow persevering faith. And next, James is gonna give us sort of one of his first imperatives. One of his first things that he wants us to take away from this as it relates to seeing bad things and as potentially good things. He continues on verse four, he says, so let it grow. And he's talking about endurance. He's talking about letting endurance grow in your life, that God is growing something in you. And you could hit the eject button, you could hit the run button, you could hit the lie button. And yet God says, I wanna grow something in you because you could really hit all kinds of buttons that deal with your circumstances, deal with your pain and deal with what's going on in you. And James says, hold on, <laughs> like just hold on for a little bit. God is doing something. He sort of started a process of growing something in you that will help you and that will honor him as well. And you're going to see that really what happens is that it really brings other people to be in awe of the faith that you have and the God that you have. If you're willing to let this thing grow inside of you, that really the greatest tension that you're experiencing right now, which for many of us has something to do with coronavirus probably or, or the shelter in place order or whatever, that the greatest tension we're feeling potentially could be the central focal point of the activity of what God wants to grow in your life. That God probably wants to grow perseverance in your life. And we don't know what else God might want to do. There's probably many other things that God wants to do. But I would suggest that probably that is a focal point of where God wants to grow something in your life. 
And maybe for some of you, you're kind of returning to faith, and we're really glad that you're here. In some ways, we sort of shape our church for you. Um, but maybe as a part of your returning to faith story, at one point, you hit a bump in the road. And at that moment, you sort of hit the eject button, or you sort of abandon faith, you abandon God, you abandon the Bible, or, or the religious environment, or the temple, or the synagogue, or whatever your faith tradition might have been at the time, that whatever faith, your faith was, you sort of just walked away from it all. Because when something bad happened, you just said like, I'm not going to consider it pure joy. <laughs> I'm not going to look for the, the good things that God's doing. I'm not going to endure this. I'm not going to trust God anyhow. I'm just going to sort of walk away. And, I, and you hit the eject button. And, if, and really, I think we've all done that in some regard throughout our lives. But if we're all honest with ourselves and we can look back at that situation, it didn't really make our life better to hit the eject button or to abandon or to leave our faith. That really what we generally hear is like, People saying, well, if God, if that's how it is, I'm going to leave. But then they tell us years later that, ah, oh, but I wish I wouldn't have left. I wish I wouldn't have walked away because my life didn't get better. It really just got more complicated because of not having faith in my life. And James would say to us, don't make that mistake again. <laughs> like you get a new opportunity to let perseverance grow in your life. And because at the end of the day, at the end of this process, at the end of the season, your persevering faith is something that's going to bring more honor to God and it's going to leave you and bring you to a better place in your life as well. He continues on verse four. He says, so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete or another way to say mature, needing nothing. And this might sort of be a new idea for us because some of us might say like, well, how do I become a more complete or more mature person or more complete follower of Jesus? And Paul would say, or James would say rather, James would say, you have to allow perseverance to grow in your life through difficult circumstances. To which I think we all sort of ask a second question, like, do you got anything else? Like, is there any other way? <laughs> and James would say, no, there's not really another way. Like, and we would come back and say, some of us would say, well, what if I memorize more scripture, James? And I think James would say, well, like, that's good. And it would make you smarter, but it might not necessarily make you more mature. And then some of us again would say like, well, what if I obey every rule and command and like law and like I enjoy obeying the commands and laws anyhow. So like, what if I did that? Would that somehow do it? And I think James again would say, well, you know, like that's good. And that, that would make you obedient, but it wouldn't necessarily make you more mature. Because in Greek, James is really saying, let perseverance completely grow so that you will be complete. He uses the same word for both of you. He says, let perseverance completely grow so that you will be complete or mature. And basically what he says is, here's what's at stake. Like if you don't let perseverance grow in your life, you're not gonna be fully mature. If you don't allow perseverance to mature you, you're never gonna be fully mature, you're never gonna be complete, you're not gonna be in that state. That if you're not mature and you're not complete, you're needing something, you're lacking something. And James says, don't be lacking something, let perseverance grow in your life. And if we're honest, we sort of all know this. I think intuitively we sort of know this. Even though we don't like it, even though we don't want to face up to it, there's something about perseverance that makes us stronger. It makes us deeper. And it makes our story a little bit more attractive to other people, to outsiders that are watching us. And this might be a new idea. And unfortunately, it might be a new idea for those of us who grew up in church. But spiritual maturity is measured in terms of persevering faith, not perfect behavior. The spiritual maturity is really measured in terms of persevering faith, not necessarily perfect behavior behavior. So let me illustrate that for just a moment. Um, I don't know about you, but I've heard several stories from people who are followers of Jesus who are a little bit rough around the edges and have a little bit of an interesting story, you might say. And they tell you their story 
and they don't use church language. Like right? they don't use language that you hear in a church. They they use language that you might hear in a bar or you might hear in any other environment outside of a church. And you sort of hear their story and they go through a, a series of circumstances or they, they go through a valley of the shadow of death. And somehow they come out on the other side still having faith in God through that situation. And the thing about that is I think we sort of um, are in awe of their story. We're sort of a little bit intimidated by their story, not because of their Bible knowledge, <laughs> like not because of their obedience even, but we're sort of in awe that they could have this level of confidence in God and still come out on the other side. And I think the reason that this moves us is because they allowed, and in many cases, they stayed in a set of circumstances that we wouldn't have stayed in, right? Like we think about if I was in that situation, I would have bailed, I would have ejected, I would have found a way to get out of that situation, whatever it cost. And we see that they stayed in that situation. Maybe they couldn't get out of it, but whatever the case is, they stayed in that situation and perseverance grew inside of them. And you look at them and think they are a mature believer. Their, their faith is more mature than my faith, probably. And they're sort of complete. And it's not because they're obedient and maybe they are they learn the scriptures and, and they are obedient and all that stuff, but they've got maturity. And what, what God does in the life of a woman or a man who goes through those seasons and allows perseverance to grow, it really is sort of awe-inspiring in a lot of ways. And it sort of removes all of our excuses as well, right? Now, James is a realist. I think he knows what we're thinking. Like, let's move on to something else. Like, I want to go back to that. If I'm obedient, God will do this. And if I, if I pray and if I follow this, then it's some sort of a formula and God will answer my thing. And, God, and I think James knows our sort of frustration with this situation. And so what he gives us next is really something super practical. And it's a verse that really is pretty cool in and of itself, but you really can't take it out of the context of what we've been talking about. So verse five, it says this, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Basically, the context is that if you're in an in the meantime season, that if you're facing trials, if you're facing troubles, if any of you are needing wisdom, you should ask our generous God who will give it to you. And basically, if you come to those places where you're saying like, God, I'm not sure what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. God, would you give me wisdom? And wisdom in this context really is um, sort of the ability to see current circumstances within a broader context. Because don't we all just get so focused on our pain, on our situation, on our circumstances that we can't see anything from a bigger or a different perspective? And really, I think if you're a parent, you sort of get this because um, uh, we sort of see, I think in some ways, our children as the same way that God would maybe see us. That when our children run into the room and they say, like, my life is over, the world is ending, everything's falling apart, and you hear and you listen with concern, but in the back of your mind, you're sort of thinking, I wish I had an elementary school problem. I wish I had a middle school or high school problem. Because in perspective, in context of the way I see things, that's just really a small thing. And some of us, we need to ask God the same thing. James would say, ask God for wisdom to see as God sees, to see a bigger context. And James would add like, this is a prayer that God's gonna actually answer. God's not gonna be upset with you for asking for this. God's gonna answer this prayer for the people who are letting endurance grow in their life. And he would continue on basically say that, give me wisdom to see as you see that. This is the prayer we can ask God, that we can ask God to give us that kind of wisdom. That God, if I saw him or I saw her the way that you see him or her, I might act differently. That God, if I saw that situation the way that you see that situation and all the pieces sort of around it, I might respond differently. God, would you somehow give me the wisdom to see as you see? 
And James, again, sort of summarized what James is saying, basically, that we should consider it pure joy. Like, we should pause long enough to consider it pure joy, um, that when you go through any sort of surprise, or things take you by surprise, or, or things just happen that you weren't expecting, or your hopes and your dreams are sort of dashed on the rocks, and everything's sort of ruined, you should allow endurance to sort of grow inside of you, that God wants to grow something inside of you. And when those situations happen, you're going to get confused, you're going to get a little frustrated, and you need to ask God for wisdom, for what to do. Like, God, I need to see this situation, I need to see this person the way that you would see this person so that I can respond the way that you would want me to respond. And he's not quite done yet. He's got something else. Verse 6, he says, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. That like when you get to the place where you need to ask God for help and wisdom, make sure that your faith isn't also in something else as well. Because if your faith is in other things or other people, you might miss what God is trying to teach you because you're looking at the other person. You might miss what God is trying to show you and what he's trying to grow in you and how it will impact others because you're looking a different direction. That when you ask God, you've sort of got to believe that God is the one that's up to something in your life or maybe in other people's lives as well. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. That if you're wanting to look at your circumstances and look at God, you really can't look at both. If you're wanting to look at the politicians and look at God, you really can't look at both. If you're wanting to look at your stimulus check and at God, you really can't look at both because when you're looking at the other, you're wanting to put your confidence there. And James would say you really can't do both. It's sort of like divided loyalty because God is the one who actually loves you and is wanting to do something in you and for you. And your money, the politicians, your circumstances, they don't want that necessarily for you in the same way that God does at the very least. That God is something that he wants you to keep your eyes focused on him and not move your eyes to the other things because you might miss what God is doing. And those other things also are eventually going to let you down. They're eventually going to undermine your faith in him. And if you do that, you're really not allowing perseverance to grow. You're missing the opportunity for perseverance to grow in your life. In verse 7, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And when he says anything, he's referring to any sort of wisdom or any sort of perseverance or endurance in your life. And so really, I think what James is saying as we sort of wrap up is that when you're surprised by adversity, when, surprise, when adversity sort of just knocks you out or, or the bottom just drops out and things happen and you don't deserve it, you might want to at least pause long enough to consider that something good could come out of this bad thing in your life. Because this really is sort of a testing of your faith that God could sort of use in your, way, in your life to de help develop enduring and persevering faith. And the way that you develop enduring and persevering faith is very similar to how you grow and develop a muscle. That you sort of test it and you stretch it. You work it and you stretch it. You rest it and you stretch it. And, and God wants to do that same thing and he's, he's growing that same thing in you. And so we might want to take our advice from Elsa to let it grow, <laughs> right? Like we might want to take our advice to let it grow in our lives. And James would say that in the meantime, you need to believe that God is working. He's at work in you to mature you. That in the meantime, that while you're going through those difficult seasons, you can believe that God is at work in you to mature you, to kind of make you a more complete person. But our tendency is to say, well, God doesn't care. Like, God has abandoned me. Like, if this thing is actually happening, this terrible thing, like, God doesn't actually care about me. But James would say, no, I want you to believe that God is actually at work in your life and through your life to do something in you to develop persevering faith in you. 
And at some point, we need to decide that God will use what he's going to use until he removes it, until it's gone. And so basically today, right now, we have a downloadable prayer graphic for you that we'd love for you to take and maybe pray each day of this week, or maybe you need to pray it for the rest of COVID-19 until it's like in the history books kind of thing. But the, basically the prayer goes this, like this, Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this until you choose to remove this. In the meantime, though, in sort of the meantime, grant me the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say. And for some of you, maybe this is the first time you sort of said a prayer like this. Like you're in the first time where you're going to look at adversity this way. And so you say, God, I really need wisdom. Like, I don't know how to look at this thing. This is a terrible situation from the outside. Would you give me the wisdom to see as you see? Would you help me to see it a little bit differently? And one of the suggestions I would have for all of us is really to maybe pray this out loud. That when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, Heavenly Father, I believe you'll use this until you choose to remove this. But in the meantime, grant me the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say. Because when you do this, when you do that, when you pray this prayer, you are choosing to allow perseverance to grow in your life in a way that God can use to develop this amazing sort of awe-inspiring faith in Him, this confidence in Him that will be attractive to other people, that will help point other people to God. And I think in some way, we all sort of want that kind of a faith. And if we're willing to do what James says, God will develop that through these in the meantime circumstances. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for James. God, thank you so much for what James represents, who he represents. And God, thank you for what he writes about that really is so incredibly relevant for all of us right now, especially. And God, as we think about our circumstances, we really do believe that you can use this until it's gone. And we want to invite you to do what you need to do in our lives. And we are choosing now not to run, not to abandon, and not to give up. We're choosing to allow you to develop perseverance and to grow perseverance in us. So God, would you give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard? And then God, would you also give us the courage and the strength to do it? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.